0: Welcome back everyone to the PA the Way podcast. I'm your host Kat and thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join us for the show today. On today's show we have a returning guest. We have Andrew from Student Loan Advice. Welcome back to the show Andrew.
1: Hi Kat, thanks again for having me on.
0: Yeah, we last talked way back in November of 2021. So certainly there have been a lot of updates. But if the listeners didn't have a chance yet to listen to episode 42 yet, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners to bring them up to speed about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, cat. So my name's Andrew Paulson, and I am a certified student loan professional, which a lot of people probably doesn't know what that means. But I am a certified student loan geek. So I run an organization that's called Student Loan Advice, and we are majority owned by the White Coat Investor, which probably a lot of your audience are familiar with. That other financial platform that spans, you know, all financial topics from investments, to insurance, to taxes, estates, giving money away, all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, But uh, so I, and and I do one-on-one student loan advising for PAs, doctors, basically anybody that has to go out and take a big chunk of money uh, for school, generally a mortgage, I help them out. And I've worked with over a thousand borrowers in the last three or so years, advised on over $350 $350 million in student loan debt. And yeah, so really, you know, it's, I, I love getting to work at the intersection of finance with healthcare professionals and student loans. My wife is a newborn ICU nurse. My brother is in his intern year in ophthalmology and just so happens I'm kind of the finance guy. So that's, that's kind of how, how this all came about where. I was able to set up a, you know, really kind of a not, not financial advising, but really financial coaching service that helps out PAs and, and really anybody that has a bunch of loans to figure out how do I best navigate this, whether it's PSLF or it's refinancing, or, you know, just overall helping them navigate the the tricky and nuanced loan system.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that the service you offer is super beneficial and it sounds like you've definitely have helped a lot of borrowers over the years, and I'm sure you're just getting busier and busier with all these changes coming up here soon. So thanks for taking the time to have this conversation today. I'm looking forward to it. The first question that I have is that there have been a lot of updates and discussions of possible student loan changes since we last talked. Could you provide a brief overview about what some of those changes and updates have been over the past couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think one of the very first ones that I want to make mention of is something that is ending here in October, and that is the student loan pause. And this was put in place back in March 2020 when COVID hit, and President Trump uh, put in and really issued an executive order that paused payments and it froze interest on direct federal student loans, which is probably what most of you have out there. If you have the older kind of loans, these FFE or Family Federal Education loans, those unfortunately were generally not, you know, were are part of that that amount that was paused and, and and you know no payments due and that sort of thing. But for most, nobody has made any payments for for three and a half years, and and I think. You know, there were so many different extensions to this this pause as we weren't sure kind of how things were going to shake out with COVID. And I think at the time when we chatted about two years ago, it I think payments were going to start in like January of 2022. I, I literally I lost track because after President Trump paused them and then President Biden was inaugurated and brought into the White House, there's been about seven or eight more extensions to that student loan pause and but this is coming to an end now and interest starts in September, which as which which is very soon uh, and, and also payments start in October, you know, for the first time for many people in three and a half years. So that's one of the big things we are moving out of the student loan pause era back into repayment. Another thing is that interest rates have changed significantly. You know, many of you out there that are looking to refinance when you are now that you're moving into repayment, or if you're, you're in, you know, a freshly, you know, new graduate, or maybe you're graduating soon, or you're even thinking about refinancing perhaps when you graduate, which is just privatizing your loans. Interest rates are not what they once were, where you borrow six, seven percent for PA school these days. And if you, to privatize you could go down to one and a half or two was historically how this was even you know probably around the time you know two years ago maybe a year and a half ago we met but now it's like five and a half or six percent so interest rates have significantly increased and of course if any of you are out there looking at homes you're like duh i already know this it's seven percent or seven and a half percent on a 30-year mortgage well student loan interest rates are also tied into a similar benchmark really the federal reserve this big central bank that dictates how interest rates go, go up and go down. So that's another big one. And then I I think, you know, there's also been a lot of talk about student loan forgiveness and there was a huge Supreme court case that I think a lot of people, even those that don't have student loans followed where uh, president Biden was trying to, to forgive 10 up to $20,000 for borrowers all across the nation and this was struck down by the Supreme Court about two, maybe three months ago. Now that uh, you know what it what it did is it just really put an end to that. You know, the ten to twenty thousand dollars that was going to be forgiven for basically every, any borrow making below one hundred and twenty five if you're single or two fifty if you were married. And there will be more iterations of that, but I just don't know if they're going to engender enough support, bipartisan support there, as we've already seen. You know, we do have you know this this isn't a political discussion right but but you know there is you know both sides of the aisle i think feel differently about a lot of these student loan matters and in order for stuff to really change there has to be some consensus and then i would say maybe kind of putting a cherry on top is there is a new repayment program that i know we'll talk about a little later today that's called saving on a valuable education or save and it's become you know not the de facto repayment program for for those that are new graduates, but it's definitely something that does merit a lot of consideration for those of you that are interested in income-driven repayment or loan forgiveness programs, that sort of stuff.
0: Sure. Well, thanks for bringing us up to speed over the past couple of years here. I know that was a lot to cover. And as you touched on, it appears at this time that student loans will not be forgiven. And like you said, interest starts soon coming up as well as repayments are due soon too. So a lot of PAs and other healthcare providers have not been making payments on their student loans over the past almost three years or so, or three and a half years, as you mentioned. But what are the things that some of those who have paused their student loan payments should start doing? What type of information do they need to start gathering and what steps do they need to take coming up here?
1: Yeah, the the first thing you wanna do is set up a budget. For monthly payments right and hopefully a lot of you have already been doing this and you've just kind of gotten into you know you have muscle memory that you're the five hundred dollars or the thousand dollar monthly payment that perhaps you were making before they paused everything you've started to to do that where it's you're putting in a high yield savings account and maybe you're going to make a lump sum into your loan so that's the first thing is number one is make sure that you now are carving out a portion of your monthly budget to go to that student loan because we are moving out of the student loan pause era into repayment. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you should decide if you you need to refinance any of your student loans. Many of you may have had to take out private student loans in the past because it was, you know, you were moving after you graduated from, from school and you needed a little bit of money to get to that next job. Or maybe you even had to take out loans in undergrad that were private because they have different caps on how much you can borrow in undergrad. And of course, at the graduate level, most, most of you, uh, you know, practitioners, you, there was really no, no threshold on how high you can borrow, which can Sorry. be a little bit scary. So that's the second one is look to see if you should refinance your, your student loans. If you have private student loans, you should definitely look into it. If you've got federal, this is where, you know, I think a lot of people should be considering a loan forgiveness option. And it's because, you know, the average PA is coming out with $120,000 in student loans. And if your income is pretty similar to your debt, you know, there are some options in, you know, in public service and income driven plans that can really help to bring down the overall cost of your loans. And what it can end up doing is it can really be about 30 or 40 cents on the dollar that you end up paying over a decade if you decide that you want to take a job in in public service, nonprofit hospital, 501c3, something to that effect. So I think that's another big one is is consider a loan forgiveness option because then that that kind of helps you decide – whether you should, you know, be making a large payment or perhaps you should be making a payment that is income driven that's that's perhaps about 10% of your your income per month. And then, you know, I think for for many of you it's it's time to decide on, you know, should I switch a payment program? Should I be you know certifying income and for most that are that were already in repayment before they paused everything your payments are going to start up based on whatever you were paying back in february 2020 if you have if your situation really hasn't changed a whole lot in terms of you haven't sent them income or you haven't switched for payment programs That will all go back into repayment at whatever you were paying, you know, a couple of years ago, which for many of you, you're making more money than you did a couple of years ago. And some of you are making less. And if you are, then I would take action as as things are starting to do that. And then I would say one other thing is they're also giving borrowers this 12-month on-ramp period where if temporarily, for whatever reason, you can't make payments or you're just, you know... Things are super, super busy at work and you need to kind of postpone this a little bit. Just know that you don't have to make payments until September of 2024, but the interest will start to grow again on your loans. And if you're doing a forgiveness track, perhaps like the public service loan forgiveness track, you know, all these months that we've been in the COVID pause have potential to count. Uh, whether or not you made a payment, whereas now with with us moving out of that, this on ramp period, you're not going to get credit for no payments during during that time. So hopefully that gives you kind of an idea of some things that you can think about in turn, you know, as you're addressing how to get started with payments. Oh, and, and I should say as well, if you don't know how much you owe and those sorts of balances, look up, go to studentaid.gov. If you have federal student loans, it should all be there check on your servicer's account, check to make sure that you're set up with auto pay, those sorts of things so that you're, you know, think things will move back into repayment here in short order and they don't put you in forbearance and that sort of thing. So.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's all great advice. And it's also really great to hear about that ramp up period of time where some people may have been procrastinating a little bit and feeling like, oh boy, they better start making payments really soon and really high payments and might not quite be financially ready for that. And like you said, it's good to implement a plan and start making payments soon here if they can, but it's good to hear that there's that little bit of a grace period if push comes to shove in some of those cases. And a lot of that information you shared can apply to new grads, but do you have any other specific advice for students who are about to graduate and start their careers with a lot of student loan debt here soon?
1: Yeah, I think that when you're a new graduate, if you're going to do a residency program or if you're just going right into practice, into full-time work and don't have to train, when you're a new graduate, it's usually the most tricky time, I think, when you're figuring out payment because you're probably getting your first job, maybe you're moving, maybe there's life events happening where... You're starting your family or you're getting married. I mean, there's there's all these sorts of things that I think are kind of all held in suspense until we get done with our programs, right? Yeah. And, and I think one of the number one things that, that you'll want to do when you're a new graduate is regardless of whether or not you do a loan forgiveness track or you do one of the income-driven plans, you should definitely consolidate your federal student loans. And what this does is your loans will automatically enter what's called grace period when you graduate. And they give you this six-month runway where you can pick your repayment program and get your job and that sort of thing. But what consolidation does is it shortens the amount of time that you have after you graduate uh, for for payments to begin for you. And and for those of you that are doing a forgiveness trap, you want that clock to start immediately because you're probably making less right when you graduate than you will in five, seven, 10 years, right? You know, you become more efficient. Maybe, you know, they have a lot higher demand for, you know, PAs or, you know, those in medicine in a couple years time, or perhaps you move to an area where they, you know, income changes, but that's a big one is to consolidate. And what that also does is it helps you to pick a, a repayment program. And then I think some of those other things that we talked about is if you're not sure on what you want to do overall with your student loans quite yet, enroll into an income driven repayment program. Because if, if you're making roughly $120,000 a year, let's say that that's your income right out of, right out of school. And if you divide that by 12, that means on a monthly basis, you're making about 10 grand. Well, if you're on one of those income driven plans, it's about 10% of your take home pay. So if you're making 10 grand, your monthly payment would be about a thousand dollars. It's probably gonna be a little bit less than that. But at least that way you're not paying 2000 dollars 3000 dollars per month that a lot of people think they just have to start paying as soon as they graduate. So income-driven repayment is a good thing to have in your back pocket. Like I said, you know, make a budget for those for those monthly payments. And then I think more broadly is, is try to get figure out if if you're you know gonna do loan forgiveness or not. And when I speak to loan forgiveness, for most of you out there, it's, it's it's public service loan forgiveness that's over 10 years that you would have to work at a nonprofit hospital for a minimum of 30 hours per week. And there are some alternatives to that. But I usually see most PAs will do public service loan forgiveness, or perhaps they'll take more of an aggressive pay down plan and just refinance them and pay them off maybe five years out of PA school. So,
0: And speaking of PSLF, since it was recently announced that student loans won't be forgiven, there were a lot of announcements about changes to repayment plans and loan forgiveness options such as PSLF. So could you share what some of those changes specifically to PSLF have been?
1: Yes. So I think the first one is when we met two years ago, Kat, I think there was like 25,000 borrowers that had received forgiveness. So it was one of those things where we were really in the early days of borrowers that had checked all the boxes, that had you know, done everything that they needed to, to qualify. And there was just very few that had gotten there. Now we're at over 660,000 borrowers. And I've seen probably over a hundred clients that have come through our consulting service that, that have had their loans forgiven through PSLEP. So it's, it's really exploded in that, in that regard. And it's, it's no longer a thing that you don't really see anybody getting their loans forgiven, where it's just becoming much more of a known commodity that, that this sort of a thing can work. And maybe, you know, I'll just kind of walk through what are the, what are the requirements for public service loan forgiveness? And it's really this was set up to, to encourage borrowers to pursue jobs in public service versus versus private. So think about if you go to PA school and then you're going to work at a the local nonprofit hospital or you want to work at an academic center. You know, I think those are what we generally associate with that. Uh, as, as compared to working in private practice, right, or perhaps doing telemedicine, you know, like like yourself, right. Generally, those those sorts of roles are not nonprofit; it's more private enterprise, right. So, so with public service loan forgiveness, there's four rules, and the first rules you have to be working at a qualifying institution. That's a non for profit or a 501c3, whether it's a, as a clinician or you know any nonprofit. Number two, you have to be on income driven plan. That's one of those. About which, you know, there's there's like four of them now, but really for most of you, it's a it's a decision between the safe program or the pay program. And I feel like a lot of people will just go into the safe program now because it's become more of the de facto option for most borrowers. Uh, the third requirement, and this is one that has changed, is the employment requirement used to be full time. Or if you weren't working full time at one employer, you had to have two jobs that qualified. So it made it kind of muddy (laughs) in in the past. It was like a minimum of 30 hours between the two of those. But now it is a flat 30 hours per week in in order for you to qualify yourself for the public service loan forgiveness track, which opens up a lot more flexibility for many people that are like, hey, what if you want to work 312s and you don't want to just work 40 50 hours right and you want to have a little more flexibility maybe you have some other things that you want to do outside of work family and you know passions of you know that you, that you have right that we've, we've talked about some of the things that we like to do right cat outdoors and so that's a big big change that that's really applicable for a lot of people and then another one that hasn't changed is you have to have the right kind of loans you need to have direct federal student loans and, you know, so I think the big, the big changes here are that it's a flat 30 hours per week for employment and the fact that we've now seen, you know, over half a million borrowers that have now had their loans discharged. So.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing those updates about PSLF. And you touched a little bit on the new save plan so far, but tell us about this new plan.
1: Yeah. So when we talk about save, we are getting into the weeds on, on student loans here, but, but if we take a step back, if if we're just speaking to federal student loans, the ones that you had to take out when you filled out FAFSA, there's a couple of options for repayment and you have really what I call or more of like the, the set terms where it's 10 years or it's 25 years, which are usually associated with the standard repayment program or the extended. But then you also have these income driven options and the payments are not really set on what your loan size is. They're generally based off of your income and your household size. And so if for, you know, as we were kind of talking a little bit earlier, if we go back to that example of, you know, a PA making $120,000 per year, you know, in the SAFE program, those payments are probably going to be about $1,000 a month. But there's, there's, there's really, I'd say, the only other repayment program, to, you know, income-driven. There used to be like five, and they've tried to really kind of consolidate this down. Where for most of you, it's a decision of the save program versus the pay program. And historically, many borrowers, generally those that were really interested in public service loan forgiveness, or perhaps that have a partner and they're married that also makes money, they would want to get onto the pay program because think about. If it let's say you have a spouse and they're an engineer and they make a hundred thousand as well. So then that brings us up to household income of $220,000. Well, when they're calculating your payments, if you're filing your taxes as a married couple jointly, which most couples do, it will take into account your household income when they are calculating payments as compared to solely your income. So the common strategy there was if you were married, had a partner that was also making money, was to file your taxes as a couple married filing separately. And it really only, that 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 type of a strategy was usually only available in the, the pay program. But this SAFE program, which was formerly known as Repay, does allow for that option as well. So that's one pon- component there is it's generally the cheapest and it allows for you to exclude spousal income through filing separately. But here's another huge one. If your payment is not enough to cover the interest on your loans. So, you know, if, if you owe a hundred grand, right. And your interest is, I'm going to pick a full, uh, uh, you know, a whole number here, but let's say that your loans are growing 10 grand a month or excuse me, a year, you know, cause it's a, I don't know, seven or 8% interest rate, which isn't too uncommon for most of us. Well, on a monthly basis, it's probably growing about, I don't know, seven or 800 bucks a month. And if your monthly payment is not enough to cover that interest, let's say you're paying $400 a month, but your interest is $800, that would be like $400 bucks every single month that wouldn't be enough to cover the interest. So then where does that interest go? Well, it sits there and it accumulates and it grows and it grows. That's the sort of stories that you hear about that such and such, you know, PA borrowed 150 k they've been paying it for 10 years, and now they owe 250 dollars right? And it was very easy to kind of get you know, overwhelmed and things to get, get lopsided. Well, this paper, excuse me, save program has an interest subsidy where if your monthly payment is not enough to cover the interest that is charged on a monthly basis, that unpaid interest is 100% waived. So Same. in the example, $400 payment, not enough to cover the $800 of interest, that $400 of unpaid interest is 100% waived. So this is huge. So that means that whatever you borrowed, for for graduate school, it will never, ever go above that amount. And so just a huge thing to kind of take into account. And if you also have loans from undergraduate and they're substantial, understand that instead of your payments based off of 10% of income, those would actually be based off of 5%. So a lot of you probably borrowed for undergrad and for PA school or for graduate school. And so what they do in that case, if you have a chunk from PA school and a chunk from undergrad, those from undergrad are based at 5% of income as compared to those at PA school or 10% but just you know overall it does benefit many many people and i would say like the only case where you shouldn't do this safe program is if you make about 130% of what you owe so if you make you owe 100k in student loans and you're making 130,000 dollars or more that's what you'll probably want to consider the pay program or even what's called the income-based repayment program because there's actually a payment ceiling in those plans that the save program does not allow for but uh, overall most most of you probably would would be a better fit for the save program.
0: Okay, I really appreciate you taking the time to update us on the save program. I know that whenever borrowers see a new program out there, they have lots of questions. So, I appreciate that information. I have a couple follow-up questions about the SAVE program in particular. One is, in general, what's the length then of the term of the loans? Like, is this a 10-year thing, 20-year thing, or is this however long it takes for those loans to eventually be paid off per person?
1: Yeah, and it really depends on what what you do for work after school. If, if you're going to work in private practice, you're working telemedicine, or generally what you're going to look at is income driven repayment would be about 25 years that you would be in repayment but I would only recommend those people who are in private to, to do income driven repayment over the long run if your debt is two times or three times greater than your income or more. So if you have 300k in income and excuse rather in, in student loan debt and you owe 100 and you're making a hundred thousand dollars per year and income's going to stay consistent. And, you know, you're not going to take a job in nonprofit or an academic center for whatever reason, then then that's definitely where you'll want to look to that, that taxable forgiveness track that is over 25 years. It's a little bit different from public service loan forgiveness in that it's 25 years instead of 10 years of payments. It doesn't matter where you work or, or how much you work. So it's it's more flexible but but it also has the stipulation that whatever your balance is after 25 years of payments that balance that, that you owe at the end is taxed. So if you owe let's say 300k in 25 years and you live in a high state income high tax state like a California or in New York, you could have like a $100,000 tax bill in the year that your loans are forgiven. I'm not a huge fan of this this track but But that is, you know, sometimes that is necessary for borrowers. So that's the 25-year track. And there's also what we've alluded to a little bit earlier, public service loan forgiveness, where you have to work in a nonprofit or a 501c3, and you need to be working a minimum of 30 hours per week in one of those income-driven repayment programs And after you pay for a decade. And and work in public service for a decade, for 120 cumulative months, not consecutive. Then whatever that balance is, it it is discharged. But you know, using the last example, that 200,000, perhaps that you owe after 10 years of payments is discharged and it's tax-free. There's no taxes owed on that balance, and that I I feel like of the two, that is is a much more common. And because you're also out of debt 15 years earlier, so
0: yeah, certainly. So to clarify, just to make sure I'm understanding correctly and that the listeners are as well, if you are thinking about going the PSLF route, usually the save plan is a good IDR plan for you to go that route. But if you are working for a organization that does not qualify for PSLF, then perhaps the save plan or other IDR plans might not be right for you because of this lawn repayment plan over 25 years plus the tax bomb that you mentioned at the end of that. Is that how you would differentiate that?
1: Yeah, it, exactly. And I think it's it's pretty set in stone. If you're going to work at a nonprofit and your income is in you know is similar to your debt, or your debt is greater than your income, you're a really good candidate for PSLF. Those of you that are in private, it really depends. <laughs> Where in the past, if you were going to be working in private practice. Uh, you know, private enterprise, it was really just refinance your student loans and you could take it from 6% or 7% and bring it down to one or two, but it's just not where rates are today. And they could improve, right? They certainly could. It sounds like the Fed's going to kind of level off on the raising of interest rates, but that's where if, if you have way more debt than you owe, two or three times or more, where I would stay on an income-driven perhaps. But sure. if your income and your debt is similar, that's where you might want to look at refinancing. And okay. if you can't get a better rate, you could also just do pay or do save and just kind of pay it off over that time, yeah. right? But, but generally speaking, most will want to do income-driven if they're going to do a forgiveness track. But there are some that are like, I'm not going to be a good candidate for, for either of those, the 10-year or the 25-year track and some will just stay in the income driven plan because you know if for example you lose your job or you're you have a drop in pay well guess what your payments can go down sure. whereas if if you have refinanced it's like a mortgage at that point whatever that monthly payment is the servicer doesn't care really how much you make at that point they just want to collect whereas yeah. income driven does give a little, give a little bit of that flexibility that i like so
0: okay that makes sense and we touched on this next question a little bit already, but if you have anything more to add, definitely feel free. So what would you say would be some examples of how the SAVE plan might help both PAs and other healthcare professionals out there in particular? What type of situations would it look like that this plan might be good for them?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. And I think that if if your loans are more than you make, if your student debt is more than what you're making right now, even if your income's going to ramp up, I think that that's definitely where you can benefit from the income-driven plans and from SAVE particularly because if you think about it, let's say you're making $100,000 know, freshly out of, of graduate school and they base your payments when you're on an income-driven plan generally off of what you made the year prior. So, so make sure you're filing your taxes too, uh, for, for those new graduates, file your taxes. in when you're, when you, even when you're in college and in graduate school, because sometimes this can really benefit you. So, and with that, if payments are based on the year prior's income, when perhaps you weren't making anything, you could have a year of payments that are $0 payments. And then your second year of payments, it'll look at perhaps what you made, maybe only worked six months, you graduated in May, and then you started your first job. And, June or July, then you might've only worked six or seven months that year. Well, probably you got to prorate that. You know, you didn't, if you're making 120 and you only work six months, then you made maybe $60,000 over that year. So then, so what happens is payments, those really those first one or two years out of school can be pretty darn affordable. And so what would definitely say for, for those that are not sure about what they should do, or where they're going to end up for for jobs to to check that out income driven because generally if you're in a job that qualifies for public service loan forgiveness it is almost always the most efficient way to pay down your loans because if you borrow $150,000 you're going to probably pay about 200 grand when it's all said and done right but i am seeing lots and lots of pAs and physicians that that are borrowing in that amount and they're paying less than six figures over a decade. Even some of them making, you know, pretty darn similar to what they owe. So yeah. definitely give that give that strong consideration. But if you're not going to do forgiveness, you know, I, I I think that trying to get out of debt sooner than later is is a fabulous thing. Is. You know, I remember when we had, you know, a big chunk of loans from my wife's uh, uh, nursing school, we wanted to get out from under that. And and we looked, we did all these things. We, we looked, we modeled the numbers for PSLF and those sorts of things, but we found it best to just, okay, over these next couple of years, we're just going to aggressively tackle this so that it then is, it frees us up for, you know, maybe more job flexibility or, or, or frankly, just kind of getting the proverbial monkey off our back too, so.
0: Yeah, and that is a great point and leads me into the next point of discussion that I want to have with you. There are generally two ways of looking at paying off student loans. One is to pay it off quickly and aggressively over time and get it done with. And the other is to pay less or pay as little as possible over a course of longer period of time. Let's say a new grad PA or other healthcare professional graduates from school and they aren't exactly sure. They're like, well, maybe I could see myself in a PSLF type of program and work for an organization that's a nonprofit that qualifies, or maybe I would be open to private practice and they could see themselves going either way. Which way would you suggest do you feel like is the best way to pay off student loan debt, or do you feel like that there's lots of pros and cons and risks and benefits to consider depending on the person's situation?
1: Oh gosh, Kat, that's such a good question. <laughs> you know, it it really it it is very nuanced because everybody's situation is is going to be different in that regard. Whether you are you, you see yourself working a regular forty hour schedule, or maybe it's you know, hey for for a couple of years, I'm going to work per diem or I'm going to work, you know, some more kind of temporary type stuff. Right. Or maybe I'm going to stay at home for a year with with family, for kids or something. I, I think that the best way to kind of measure this, if we're trying to think about this from a number side of things, is how much do you owe and how much do you owe when compared to your debt? Because if. If you don't have that much in loans, if you only borrowed 50k for PA school, just, I just knocked that out in a few years. There's no reason to do that 10 year PSLF, right? But, but if you, if you owe 200 or 250, right? You had to, you know, move and, Go to you know uh, a program that is not cheap, which many do, right? And you, you you know you don't have a ton of money, perhaps saved up after you finished undergrad. You just jumped right into it, which many many have, and you had to take out money to to borrow, to live as well. I think I think that's where I would definitely be more inclined to to pursuing one of those those forgiveness tracks because there's a lot of you that are probably like, wow, I owe more than I'm ever going to make or maybe more than I really ever want to make, you know? Uh, And and that's where I think you should give, you know, more consideration to a a forgiveness option just because it's becoming much more of a, a thing that works that can help. Because if, if, you know, think about that money that if you're just putting this into your student loans and perhaps you have to pay, $200,000 over 10 years, right? Because you borrowed 150. Well, what if you only had to pay a hundred? And what if that other hundred K is put into a home or it's put into retirement? And because I I just, I think it's so important for, for many, uh, you know, healthcare professionals to really get a, a, you know, as quick of a start as you can, because, you know, a lot of your friends that did accounting and did engineering, they're twenty-one and they're making six figures right away, right? And a lot of them probably didn't have to borrow quite as much as as you have, right? Uh, so I, I think that if if you can get edu- the overall is if you can get educated on on you know how these programs work then you can tailor it to your situation whether you fit you know because most fit in those two buckets right where you pay it off quickly or you do PSLF but i know there is sometimes a little bit nuance to to those those two different tracks so
0: yeah i agree i think that there's so many individual things to consider and you have to decide what looks best for you in your current situation but also where you can see yourself over the course of the next decade too if you feel like you are interested in PSLF because a decade is a long time to commit to, you know, whether one organization or another organization Mm -hmm. that qualifies for PSLF, you may decide that, you know, three to five years in a career, this private practice opportunity over here really does look appealing to you. And maybe you don't want to continue in the PSLF at that point. And so definitely lots of different options to consider for all the listeners out there.
1: And Kat, maybe one other point you, that, you, that you reminded me of is that once you hit your 10 years, if, if for example, you were going to drop work hours or you were going to move into private practice, that is that's is totally fine. Right. Just because you take a job in public service because, hey, this is going to really benefit you for PSLF. And it's not the only reason why most will do it. But it's one of those factors that you look at. Right. Of course, job fit and good pay and, you know, a good a good schedule. Maybe you don't have to do a ton of call or whatever. Um, so so I, I think that with with that being said, I just 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 understand that, you know, it doesn't have to be forever that you stay in that. Maybe some, and some people, they just find out that they that they love working at a job that just so happens it qualifies and things just fall in place Where they want to live and 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 the flexibility that they want, but but understand that there is some some you know I I see a lot of people that will will stay stick around in an environment that qualifies, and then they'll do something else, or even sometimes I'll see some that have set it up in a way that they have their job that qualifies for PSLF, and then on the side they're doing something else. They're doing you know, uh, they're, they're working per diem or, or they're doing, you know, uh, telemedicine or something else. So, so you can kind of mix and match this. That It doesn't just have to be all one thing or the other. I have seen some that can bounce Of course, that means you're not working 30 hours. You're probably working 40 or maybe a little more than that. So, but just understand there is, there's, there's quite a bit of option and nuance to this. So.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that information. And would you tell us a little bit more about your company's student loan advice if the listeners aren't familiar with it?
1: Yeah. So we do a one-on-one meeting similar to what you would do with like a financial advisor where we, you know, if, if somebody is interested and, they, and you just need help, you need help going through, should I do public service loan forgiveness? Should I do one of these income-driven plans? Should I refinance? Or sometimes people, they are just lost. They're like, I don't know what to do. I took out all these loans and I just need some direction. So whether you're an expert and you feel like your plan looks good or, and you just need to make sure it's well oiled or perhaps you're just lost. We can, we, we create one-on-one custom plans for healthcare professionals like yourself every single day to walk through what are your options to show you what the payments will look like and overall help you navigate which which of all of the options best fits your scenario. And so we get that on a one-time call, get a custom student loan plan, and then you get a year of email with with us uh, in addition to our call for further questions because there's always more stuff that comes up afterwards. So
0: sure. That's great. It seems like your company could be so beneficial for a lot of healthcare professionals out there, including the PA listeners too. And it's definitely something I wish I had access to back when I graduated from PA school. If the listeners would like to reach out to you with questions or to schedule a consult, what's the best way for them to contact you?
1: Yeah. So I, I would say for, for most, you can go to studentloanadvice.com slash PAFI. That'll take you to our homepage. And, you know, from there, you can set up an appointment. We also have a contact us tab if you're just trying to explore this a little bit more, you know, because I know some people are like, yeah, I I know that I need to do this. And others
0: are trying to kind of get their arms
1: around this. So that's where you can reach out to us and uh, come on over and check us out. So
0: awesome. I'll make sure to include that link in the show notes for today's episode as well. But I want to thank you again, Andrew, so much for taking the time to share all the nuances over the course of this discussion for this episode to talk about the updates and the different options out there. And I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. So thanks for what you do.
1: Thanks again for having me, Kat.